Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. When you go to Israel today, ladies and gentlemen, what kind of evidence will you see? What kind of evidence has been discovered there that either affirms or maybe disconfirms what happens in the Bible or what happened in the Bible? I just got back just earlier this week from a 10-day trip to Israel, our fifth trip over there, and it's amazing what you can still see and what you can still discover regarding the events of the Bible. Now, quite obviously, there is no way to archaeologically confirm everything that goes on in the Bible. That's impossible. However, there are a number of artifacts that have been discovered, a number of inscriptions that have been discovered, a number of archaeological findings that certainly affirm that there is a very strong historical core to both the Old and the New Testaments. And today we're going to talk about it. I'm going to go through the trip with you and take you along our trip through the Holy Land here today. And we, as I say, it was about a 10-day trip. Just got back this past Tuesday. And we started... We basically covered the, the, the country from south to north, and then we came and finished our trip in the center in Jerusalem. And uh, we started in the south in the Negev Desert. Uh, we went to a place in the Negev, an, an oasis, an oasis that perhaps Moses and the Israelites had visited because when you go down into the south of Jerusalem, into the Negev Desert, it is just that. It is a desert. However, there is an oasis right in the middle of it where there is a water source and there's trees and, and uh, wildlife and that kind of thing. And our guide for this trip was uh, Eli Shukran. I've spoken about Eli before. Eli is an uh, Israeli archaeologist who for years worked for the Israeli Antiquities Authority. In fact, he worked there for about 18 years. He was the one that excavated most of the city of David, and he's also the one that discovered the Pool of Siloam. We'll get to the city of David later in the program. But Eli was our guide. It's about the fourth time I've had Eli as a guide. Great guy who knows the country inside and out. After all, it's his homeland. And he took us down there. And what he kept saying over and over again, and I'm going to say it over and over again during this program, is that all the details check out. Details that affirm that the Bible is telling the truth. I mean, simple things. We're in the Negev Desert. He points to a tree. He goes, what tree is that? Oh, I don't know. Well, it's an acacia tree. What's an acacia tree? Well, acacia tree is the kind of tree that they made the Ark of the Covenant out of. You know, if they had said some other kind of tree, a, a maple tree is what they made the Ark of the Covenant out. You didn't find any maple in the desert or in the Holy Land. You'd go, well, that, that doesn't check out. I mean, it's little stuff like that. And acacia, acacia trees are all over uh, this oasis area in the Negev. We also uh, went, uh, while we were down there, to the tomb of the first prime minister of the modern era, Ben-Gurion. His tomb is down in that area. So we visited there. We got rested 
uh, for the first day or two because when you travel across seven time zones, it's going to take you a while to get uh, acclimated. So we did that. Uh, the following day, we cut across from uh, the west to the east and we headed toward the Dead Sea. On our way through the Dead Sea, we passed through the town of Beersheba. Beersheba is a place that Abraham visited, Hagar, Ishmael, Genesis 14, Genesis 21, Genesis 26, all has links back to uh, back to Beersheba, as well as Genesis 28. So you have Jacob there, you have Isaac there, you have Abraham there, Hagar and Ishmael. All of these names are connected with Beersheba. Uh, Elijah stopped in Beersheba as he was fleeing from Jezebel in 1 Kings 19. I mean, these are real places. We then, after turning right at Beersheba, we headed across the desert toward the city of Arad. And in Arad, we saw a very remarkable discovery at that site. It was a complete temple pattern after the temple in Jerusalem in the ancient city of Arad, originally built by the Canaanites. So we saw that, and uh, at that point, we talked about the Canaanites and the killing of the Canaanites, and what did that have to do with uh, uh, loving God? We covered all that when we were there at Arad. Not going to go through the details here. you got to come on the trip to hear all the little uh, speeches we gave <laughs> at each of these places. But we covered the Canaanites, and we were there. And then we went across a little bit further toward the Dead Sea to a place called Masada. You've probably heard of Masada. Masada was the stronghold in the desert built by, um, or a palace was built there by Herod. Of course, David had visited there. In fact, David... Uh, was in the stronghold. Some scholars believe it was Masada. And uh, you can read about that in 1 Samuel chapter 24. But Masada is most known for a place that Jewish rebels went to after 70 AD, a final holdout against the Romans. And the Romans, according to Josephus, in 73 AD, built a siege ramp, broke into this desert Masada high up on a, uh, on a bluff. And when they got there, according to Josephus, they found 960 people who had committed suicide. These were Jewish people who didn't want to be sold into slavery by the, uh, by the Romans. They just found a few women still alive, a few children. Uh, and that's the famous event that occurred at Masada. But also at Masada, they found an, an ostracon. What's an ostracon? Uh, ostraca are pottery shards that people would use to write things on. You could think of a pottery shard as kind of an ancient post-it note because there was so much pottery around. And when pottery broke, what would they do with it? Well, they would use it to communicate with one another. And in Masada, they found a, an a ostracon with the name Ananias the High Priest Aquiva is his son. And this person served as the high priest in Jerusalem from 47 AD to 59 AD. So you find little things like that. By the way, where we get the term ostracized from comes from this ostracon because they had a policy in, in Greece back in ancient times where if somebody was a trouble to the community, they could vote to kick this guy out of town for 10 years. And the way they would vote is they would vote on an, a piece of pottery, an, an, an ostracon. And so if the person received enough votes to be kicked out of town, 
then they would say this person has been ostracized. He's been kicked out. That's where we get the word. No extra charge for this trivia here. I'm just pointing this out, okay? So we went to Masada, which is an amazing place. And then we went to the Dead Sea. If you've never been to the Dead Sea, you've got to go to the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is mentioned in the Bible several times. But it's unlike anything else in the world. You go to the Dead Sea and it's impossible to sink (laughs) because the salt content, I think, is something like 35%. And you just float. It's the most amazing phenomenon when it comes to swimming you'll you'll ever experience. Uh, the following day after the Dead Sea, we went north toward, only north about 10 or 15 minutes, to a place called En Gedi. Now, what is En Gedi? En Gedi is a desert, another desert oasis that kind of empties down into toward the Dead Sea. It's, it's, it's an area where David hid himself from King Saul. And when you go into this area of En Gedi, you can see all sorts of caves up in the hills surrounding this valley in which you walk and you you get up to a stream. If you keep walking way into the oasis, you're going to see an amazing waterfall toward the top of it. We didn't have time to go all the way up there this time. But all the details fit. All the details fit. There are caves there. This is a place where David could hide himself from Saul who wanted to kill him. And it's a beautiful location. We know that's the place. And all the details, as my friend and guide and archaeologist Ellie Shukran said, all the details fit. We're talking about Israel today. We're taking you on a tour through Israel. We just got back from about a nine or ten day tour to Israel. And we're talking about the findings that uh, we witnessed when we were there and how these findings all fit with what the Bible says. So we're going to talk more about this right after the break. I'm Frank Turek. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. We're back in two. Israel. What archaeological and topographic and other kinds of discoveries have been made in the Holy Land that either affirm or disconfirm what the Bible says. Well, actually, not much has been found to disconfirm it. In fact, uh, when we had uh, Craig Evans on, an archaeologist, a couple of uh, a couple of weeks ago, I asked him if there's has there been anything found that seems to contradict what the Old or New Testament saying. He says he said no, and <laughs> we haven't found anything either. We're finding finding after finding that seems to confirm that what the Bible says from an historical perspective is actually true. So I just mentioned En Gedi before the break. Um, after En Gedi, we headed further north along the western shore of the Dead Sea toward a place called Qumran. You've probably heard of Qumran because Qumran is where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. Now, we didn't have time to stop there. In fact, it was quite almost miraculous uh, when we were there, it actually rained in Qumran, which almost never happens. We were passing it. There was a rainstorm that came in. It was raining at the Dead Sea. Qumran's right on the Dead Sea. Very, very unlikely event as we were passing through there. But we weren't going to stop anyway. We didn't have time. But Qumran is where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. There's a number of caves that you can actually see as you're driving past Qumran. From the bus, you can see these caves. I've been there before. And uh, probably the most famous finding there was the entire book of Isaiah found in Cave 1, 24-foot-long scroll that contained all of the book of Isaiah. 
including the famous passage, Isaiah chapter 53, which seems to 700 years in advance talk about the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. That scroll is dated from about 150 B.C., and that was found there at cave number one, as well as many other scrolls or fragments of scrolls. And uh, the other aspect about this, particularly the Isaiah scroll, when they compared the Isaiah scroll to the next earliest scroll they had at the time, it's about 1,100-year difference between the Masoretic scroll from about 1,000 A.D. and the Dead Sea Isaiah scroll from about 150 B.C., they found that were virtually identical. The changes were minor. There were minor changes in spelling and word order and that kind of thing. So it seems to show that the scrolls, or I should say the scribes, were copied, copied the scrolls very faithfully through over 1,100 years. Uh, so Qumran is an amazing place where they've discovered all sorts of different biblical texts. In fact, every biblical book from the Old Testament was found with the exception of Esther. Maybe Esther was not found because Esther does not mention the name of God. We're only speculating there, but uh, just every other Old Testament book has been found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, later, we went to the Israeli Museum, and actually the Israel Museum, and actually saw a replica of this scroll. I'll get to that later. Uh, but after Qumran, we headed, continued to head north, and we went to a place called Shiloh. Shiloh is uh, toward the middle of the country. Shiloh is the original place where the tabernacle was after Joshua took the land in about 1400 BC. They set up the tabernacle in Shiloh for over 300 years. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was. Friends, that's longer than the United States has been along, has been around. That that place was the place where the Ark of the Covenant actually was kept for over 300 years. And when you go there, they have a great welcome center there. They have a place where you can watch a movie about the history of the place. And uh, there is an organization called the Associates for Biblical Research, which is, which is doing excavations there. They're trying to find the exact location of where they thought the tabernacle was. There's four possible sites on this piece of land that they think the tabernacle was. They're not exactly sure it was, but they have found... Um, uh, straka and pottery from the period that would take you back toward uh, the period of the judges after Joshua. So that was a very fascinating place uh, that you can visit, Shiloh. After Shiloh, we continued to head north to Mount Gerizim, also overlooking the town known as Shechem. Now, what happened in Shechem? Well, Shechem is where God appeared to Abraham for the first time in Genesis chapter 12. Shechem is also the town at the base of two hills. One of them is called Mount Gerizim. The other is called Mount Abal. What happened there? Well, what happened there was that Moses, before he entered the promised land, said, when you go into the promised land, I want you to shout blessings and cursings back to one another. In other words, divide up the tribes of Israel, put some of them on Mount Abal, put others of them on Mount Gerizim, and shout blessings and cursings back and forth to one another to remind you that if you follow the Lord, you will be blessed. If you don't follow the Lord, you will be cursed. And when you go there, you can see these two hills adjacent to one another, and you could envision the tribes of Israel on each hill shouting blessings and cursings back, back and forth between one another. 
because they're they're close enough so they could hear one another. All the details check out. Also in Shechem is the place where Jacob's tomb, I'm sorry, Joseph's tomb is. And Shechem is the place where, also called Shinar, where the Jacob's well is, where Jesus sat at the bottom of Mount Gerizim with the woman at the well and had a conversation with her from John chapter 4. All this checks out. Now, there's a church built on that well. Now, you can go in to the church and see the well, actually drink from the well. That well is thousands of years old, and that's where Jesus sat, looking up at Mount Gerizim, saying that you think you work, you, your, your people worship on this mountain. And you can read that entire conversation right there in John chapter 4, Jesus and the woman at the well. Because the Samaritans believed that the true place to worship was Mount Gerizim, which is 60 or 70 miles north of Jerusalem, I believe. I know it's north. I'm, I don't know exactly how many miles, but it's about an hour north of Jerusalem, maybe a little bit longer. And that's where you can still go today and see Samaritans, who number just under 1,000 now, they still sacrifice lambs. In fact, we saw the sacrificial site and we were up there. There is an ancient temple on the top of that mountain as well. The details check out. Jesus is sitting at the well. He's talking about the temple on the Mount, of Mount Gerizim. They found the temple, the, the ruins of it. It's there. All the details check out. After Mount Gerizim, we headed north to another hotel. And the next day, we went all the way to the extreme north of Israel, a place called Tel Dan. Tel, of course, is a mound referring to a city that, or a town that once was there. And as you know, back then they didn't have all sorts of heavy equipment where they could move debris away. So what they would do is if a town was destroyed, when they rebuilt it, they just rebuild on top of the ruins. And so mounds would get built up and these could then be excavated later by archaeologists. Well, archaeologists excavated the place called Dan. Now, what happened in Dan? All the way to the north. I mean, you're a stone's throw from the Lebanon border. Well, probably the most famous biblical thing that happened in Dan was Jeroboam, who became the king of the north after Solomon died. Remember, the, the kingdom of Israel split into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The southern kingdom was ruled by Rehoboam, one of Solomon's sons. The northern kingdom was ro- ruled by Jeroboam. Jeroboam was not Solomon's son, but he was the son of another individual who so- he somehow got into power in the north. And what Jeroboam did in order to prevent his subjects from going to the south, where they might come under the jurisdiction of Rehoboam is he built an altar in Dan because he didn't want his subjects to go to Jerusalem to worship. So he set up this altar, which you can read about in 1 Kings chapter 12. The problem was the altar he set up had golden calves on it. He tried to get the Israelites to worship golden calves, and apparently they did. And you go, well, how could they do that? I mean, don't, didn't they learn from the Exodus? Well, ladies and gentlemen, the Exodus was four to 500 years before 
Jeroboam. Because, well, let's do the math exactly. Uh, Solomon dies in about 5, no, I'm sorry, 931 B.C. So this is after 931. And when was the Exodus? The Exodus occurred in 1446 B.C. So you've got uh, almost, well, you, I guess you got about 500 years between the golden calves of Aaron and the, the golden calves of the Exodus and the golden calves of Jeroboam. So there's, <laughs> these people don't have the institutional memory. We don't even have the institutional memory. In fact, I asked people at Dan, I asked them, the people that came with us, a great group of folks, about 40 folks, I said, how many people here have ever seen God either do a miracle in your life or divine providence? You know, it wasn't a miracle. He didn't overpower natural law, but you knew God was involved. Virtually everyone raised their hand. I said, how many people still have doubts sometimes? And almost everyone raised their hand again. What? We, we forget, even in our own lifetimes. When God has done something, we, we sometimes then doubt him. Well, the people of Israel did, uh, did so as well. 500 years later, they're worshiping the golden calf again. Now, for many years, archaeologists thought, you know, not all archaeologists, some of them, what we call the minimalist archaeologists, these are people that, uh, that think there's very little in the Bible that's actually historically true. Some of them were saying, ah, David, yeah, th th he's an invented character. He really didn't have a kingdom. Until in 1993... There was an inscription discovered in this northern city of Dan. It's called the De Tell Dan Stella. A stella is a inscription, and it was a broken stella. And this stella or this inscription was put forth there not by somebody from Israel, but it was put forth probably by uh, Hazel, a Syrian king, who says he beat the house of David. In a, in a battle. So you've got this Syrian king bragging in about 850 BC that he has beaten the king of the house of David. Now, if, if you're going to take the time to create an inscription that brags about the house of David, the house of David must be a pretty robust enemy because you're not going to brag about beating some wimpy enemy. You're only going to brag about somebody about beating somebody who's formidable. So... The house of David actually shows, this inscription actually shows David was A, a real person, and B, he had a real kingdom that it was worth bragging about beating. We're going to talk more about the archaeological discoveries of Israel. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Check our website out, crossexamine.org. We're back in two. Devin, our producer, just said, yeah, I'm listening to this, but it's not the same as being there. No, it's not. you got to go you got to go to Israel. That's what we're talking about today. And by the way, I'm only in day three of our trip, and I'm halfway through the show, and I've got like 10 days to do, so I'm going to have to speed this up. There's so much archaeological evidence here that I can't dwell on all of it. So uh, the point here is, is that there's a lot that has been discovered that affirms what both the Old and New Testaments say actually happened. Obviously, as I said at the top of the show, you can't prove it all. There's no way to doing that. But you can show that the New Testament and the Old Testament have are, are real historical sources that tell us the truth about what happened in history. Much of it can be at least corroborated to some extent. Now, before I go on, I got to mention to you that this coming Saturday, 
out in uh, a week from today, if you're listening to it on Saturday, on the, I think it's the 28th of uh, April. I'm going to be out in uh, Ch- the Calvary Chapel Chino Hills in uh, California, Southern California. Great church out there. Pastor Jack Hibbs is wonderful. The entire church is amazing. Been out there several times. We're going to do the Fearless Generation presentation. Myself, Jay Warner Wallace, Dr. Mike Adams, and uh, we're going to talk about some hot issues. Uh, issues issues relating to transgenderism, sexual identity, racism. I mean, we're not going to shy away from the big issues, friends. <laughs> we're going to talk about it all. Abortion, all these things that are polarizing our culture. How can we respond as Christians? How should we respond? I hope you can be there. Uh, if you can't be there, it might be streamed. I don't know. Uh, check out uh, the Calvary Chapel Chino Hills website. It's starting, I think, about noon or one o'clock on the West Coast, Saturday afternoon. Uh, the 28th. But if you're anywhere near there, we'd love to see you. So check that out. All right, let me get back to uh, what we're talking about. And that is the evidence in Israel. Some of the evidence we've seen for uh, the Old and the New Testaments. After we went to Tel Dan, we went to Caesarea Philippi, also in the north. That's where Jesus talked about uh, the famous... Uh, declaration that Peter said that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he said, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. That whole passage, I think it's in Matthew chapter 16, and he refers to the gates of hell. The gates of hell will not prevail against the gospel. Well, what are the gates of hell? If you go to Caesarea Philippi, they're there. (laughs) What are the gates of hell? There's this cave that they called the gates of hell. There There are all sorts of different pagan temples there and one of them was this gates of hell that if you went down into this cave you would enter the gates of hell so when jesus is referring to the gates of hell in caesarea philippi he's referring to a place that he could see right there in the town where he was saying this as again my colleague la shukran la shukran said all the details fit jesus is referring to a place that really existed the gates of hell now by the way the gates are defensive they're not offensive So what does that mean? It means the gospel will break through the gates of hell, and we've got to have the boldness to preach the gospel. After Caesarea Philippi went up to Mount Hermon, why? Because right above Caesarea Philippi is Mount Hermon. And Mount Hermon, therefore, is the likely place for the transfiguration. Why do you say that? Because at the end of Matthew 16, when he's talking in Caesarea Philippi, he says, some of you will not see or will not pass away until you see the kingdom of God. And you're you're wondering, well, how can that be, Jesus? These people all died, and the kingdom of God is not fully arrived. Well, he wasn't referring to the final final, uh, deliverance of the kingdom of God or the final final arrival of the kingdom of God. He's referring to to the transfiguration, which happens in the very next verse. It says, after six days, they went up on a mountain. And that's where Jesus appeared transfigured to them. So most scholars now will say, well, that makes sense that Mount Hermon is the place for the transfiguration because it overlooks Caesarea Philippi. So geographically it works. Then we went up to a Golan Heights bunker, which was interesting right on the Syrian border. Not much biblical reference to that, but it was just interesting that the Syrian border at the time was calm, even though the missiles had just hit the night before, I think, uh, that President Trump sent into Syria. We also then came back to, toward the Sea of Galilee and had a very worshipful experience overlooking the Sea of Galilee from the east. The hills to the east of the Sea of Galilee, 
you can you can go up on them and overlook the entire Sea of Galilee, which was just a very beautiful experience. We played some uh, worship music up there, and uh, it was just amazing. The next day, we went to Capernaum. Now, Capernaum was Jesus' adopted hometown. It's on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. So much happened in Capernaum. Just read Mark chapter 1, Mark chapter 2. It's where uh, Jesus healed many people. It's where he preached in the synagogue. And the synagogue in which Jesus preached is underneath the synagogue that still stands today, remnants of the synagogue that still stands today, the fourth century synagogue that you can stand in. Well, it's built over the foundation of the synagogue in which Jesus spoke. And then right next to the synagogue, 50 yards away, is a house that was discovered from the first century which most archaeologists admit was Peter's mother-in-law's house. Why do they admit that? Because in the middle of the first century, the house was turned into a worship center. They plastered the walls. They took out the oven. There was all sorts of graffiti and writings found in there. 111 inscriptions in Greek alone found in this this, uh, house, which now has a church built over it. Uh, and, And there were churches that popped up in that spot after that, Byzantine churches, and now there's a modern church above it. But all this fits. The place where they they moved the roof away and they put the guy down through the roof so Jesus could heal him because they couldn't get the the lame man to Jesus without going through, the, they couldn't get through the crowd, so they, they climbed the roof and they put him through the roof. That's Peter's mother-in-law's house. It's right there. You can see all this stuff. Right there in Capernaum. It's, my, it's probably my favorite, favorite place in, in, in Israel because you know where Jesus was. You can see the orientation of the synagogue to the house and so many things that happened there. Healings happened there. Preachings happened there. Uh, we also took a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee from that area. We went up to Chorazin. Chorazin is a town just a couple of miles from uh, Capernaum, maybe not even that far. It's just a little bit further up the hill, and from there you can see the entire Sea of Galilee. And that's where Jesus said that, um, uh, well, at one point he talked about the seat of Moses, that the Pharisees loved to sit in the seat of Moses. Well, what did they find in Chorazin? Uh, An actual seat, the seat of Moses. They have a replica where they found it. The real one is in the Israel Museum down in Jerusalem, but the replica is there in the ruins of Chorazin. Chorazin was also a place, in addition to Capernaum and Bethsaida, that were cursed by Jesus because so many miracles were done there, but the towns didn't believe. So we were there in Chorazin. We also went to the Mount of Beatitudes, which is right in that same area where Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount. Beautiful area overlooking the Sea of Galilee. We had baptisms in the Sea of Galilee, which was another highlight of the trip. In fact, uh, we baptized me and another uh, pastor by the name of Rocky, who, were, who was on the trip with us. We probably baptized uh, maybe 15 people on a, in our group, maybe 20 people. Some of them had been baptized before, but many of them had not. Uh, my son had been baptized before, but I baptized him again there in the Sea of Galilee and, and his uh, new wife, Caroline. We, we baptized them. It was a very moving experience. Beautiful right there in the Sea of Galilee. There's a beautiful hotel, new hotel right there on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee called Setai. S- I think it's S-E-T-A-I. What an amazing place. I mean, it's a beautiful place. Uh, if you if you ever go to Israel, the Sea of Galilee, it might be a place you want to check out. Um, it's a, it's kind of a, a higher-ended hotel. Uh, the trip that we went on, we, uh, we, we picked some of the better hotels 
it was reflected in the price of the trip <laughs> because um, we wanted to stay at the better hotels because when you go to the Holy Land, it's not walk where Jesus walked. It's run where Jesus walked. I mean, you are tired at the end of the day because you're trying to cram in as much as you possibly can uh, and uh, you want to stay at a nice place. So we stayed at some of the nicer places. That's a brand new hotel, which just opened, I think, a few months ago. And it's it's a, just an amazing place right there on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, after that, we went to Nazareth, Jesus's hometown. After, of course, uh, he returned with Joseph and Mary to the Holy Land after escaping Egypt. And they have a nice uh, replica village in Nazareth that takes you back to the first century. They even have a replica synagogue there where Jesus famously inaugurated his ministry in Luke chapter 4, where he read from Isaiah chapter 51 and said, the scriptures are fulfilled today upon your hearing. And that's when people said, hey, this is Joseph's son. What's he? He's claiming to be the Messiah. And you remember they wanted to run him off the cliff there in Nazareth, but he walked right through them and they did not harm him. All this checks out, friends. Geographically, it checks out. Archaeologically, it checks out. Topographically, it checks out. Then we went across the Jezreel Valley on the way to Megiddo. And the Jezreel Valley and Megiddo may ring a couple of bells in your mind because Megiddo, the Mount of Megiddo, is what we call Armageddon. And the final battle, according to the book of Revelation, will take place in this valley. And you can drive across it, and when you get up to Megiddo, which is an, 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 an ancient uh, town that had been destroyed and rebuilt 25 times, not only by Israelites, but by Canaanites and even Egyptians. Why? Because the road that runs through the Jezreel Valley was a choke point for people traveling from Egypt all the way on up into Lebanon and Iraq and those areas, maybe even up into Turkey, because you had to control the road. So this is a high point there in Megiddo. A lot happened in Megiddo. I don't have time to get into, but the, the archaeology is right there. You can see it all when you go to Megiddo, and you can overlook the Battle of Armageddon. Behind Megiddo is Mount Carmel. What happened on Mount Carmel? 1 Kings chapter 18. One of the things that happened in, my, in Mount Carmel was where Elijah challenged, challenged the pagan prophets, and God sent fire down to prove Yahweh was the true God. Again, you can read about that all in 1 Kings chapter 18. Geographically, it all checks out. After that, we continued going west toward the Mediterranean Sea where we wound up in Caesarea Maritime. Caesarea Maritime, what was that? That was really the headquarters for, uh, for the Romans. In fact, it was their headquarters for about 500 years in the Holy Land. Pilate probably spent most of his time in Caesarea. In fact, the famous Pilate inscription was found in Caesarea where he dedicated a building to Tiberius. So the inscription was discovered in 1961. They have a replica right there on the shores of Caesarea Maritime and the original is in the Israeli Museum or the Israel Museum in Jerusalem. So archaeological evidence of Pilate found in Caesarea Maritime. Also the entire... Um, Herod's palace, the remains of it can be seen there. There's an amphitheater there that's beautiful that sort of overlooks uh, the Mediterranean Sea. 
all of this checks out, and I've got several more days to cover in the final segment. I'll do my best, friends. You just got to come on the trip next year when we go. It is a eye-opening experience. You see the Bible like you've never seen it before once you go there. I'm Frank Turek. Back in two minutes. Don't go away. What did we find on our trip in Israel? Well, we got one final segment. I'm going to have to speed through because we went to Bethlehem and we actually didn't go to the church after Caesarea Maritime. We went to a a shop down there where a friend by the name of Edward Tabash runs a shop, a Christian man, in an area that's hard to be a Christian. Bethlehem is is more Muslim now by far than Christian. And uh, so we try and go down and support Edward and his shop down there, a souvenir shop. If you ever get to go to Israel and you go to Bethlehem, go to Edward Tabash's shop. He just opened a new one, not far from the checkpoint to get into Bethlehem. Uh, but there have been archaeological discoveries, as you know. In fact, Eli Shukran, our guide, discovered a reference to Bethlehem, and I think in a Beulah in the city of David. It's the first time Bethlehem has been found in an archaeological discovery, but we know where the, the place is in Bethlehem, and there is a church there that commemorates where Jesus was born. But I got to get to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is just seven miles north of Bethlehem. The, the next couple of days, the next three days, we spent in and out of Jerusalem. We went to the Mount of Olives where Jesus gave the famous uh, Olivet Discourse. It overlooks the city. It's where Jesus started his, his journey on the back of the donkey into the city on Palm Sunday. At the bottom of that, you, uh, well, gee, we also went into a tomb at the top of the Mount of Olives. First time I've been into this tomb. Of course, you can go to this place because Eli Shukran knows everybody. This is a first century tomb. It's actually a tomb that predates the first century. It goes back to about 20, about 500 BC, about 2,500 years ago. This is the kind of tomb that Jesus may have been placed in. That was extremely interesting. And then we went down the, the Mount of Olives to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus, of course, great uh, sweat, uh, great drops of blood and uh, was then betrayed by Judas when Judas came in with the uh, guards and he was taken away. Jesus was in that garden. They have some olive trees there, which some folks think could be not quite as old as 2,000 years, but close. Uh, Some amazing olive trees. And uh, after that, we went into the old city. We went to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is the traditional site where Jesus' tomb uh, was and for those of you that don't know, they did test the the tomb there in the Church of the Holy Sepulcher, and they did date it to about 300 or so A.D., uh, which is about the time, well, 350 or so A.D. It's about the time that it was set up by Hel- Helena, the mother of Constantine, as being the place. So they seem to have verified it dating-wise in terms of when it was dated. Of course, that's still 300 years after Jesus. We really don't know where the tomb was. There's no reason to commemorate the tomb because it's empty. But in any event, uh, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre was there. We also then went and did the Via Dolorosa, where Jesus apparently walked from where he was crucified to uh, the tomb. Uh, Then St. Anne's Church in the Pool of Bethesda. St. Anne's Church was, Anne was uh, the mother of Mary and they, they built a church there, which has the most amazing acoustics you'll ever you'll ever experience in your life. We went in there, we sang. One of our uh, uh, the folks that came on the trip with us, her name is Caroline. Uh, this woman, she sang the Our Father, and 
it was a transcendent experience. She sang alone and she filled up the room, the, ch the entire church with the Our Father, and it was an incredible time. Uh, the Pool of Bethesda is right there. That's where Jesus healed the blind man, um, or the lame man, I should say, in John chapter 5. Uh, yeah, the pool's been discovered, and it's, it's exactly how it's described in John chapter 5. By the way, John chapter 5 says there is a pool near the Sheep Gate when he's writing, which indicates, to me anyway, and also to Dan Wallace, the the true manuscript expert we've had on the show before and who also runs a course for us online, uh, Dan seems to indicate that when John says there is a pool of Bethesda in John chapter 5, that means John is writing prior to 70 AD because after 70 AD, that pool didn't exist because the Romans destroyed the pool. So why would he say there is a pool? So John appears to be writing, to, to be writing earlier than what many say. So we saw that. Um, also, we went out the next day to Tel Lachish, which is in the land of Judah, which, gee, I wish I had time to tell you about that. There's been a lot of archaeological discoveries related to that. That's where Sennacherib took uh, Lachish, and uh, in Nineveh, they discovered walls, reliefs of Sennacherib's victory in Lachish, those were taken from Nineveh, put in the British Museum, and a replica of those reliefs are now in the Israel Museum, and they're very interesting because they corroborate what the Bible says. In fact, Sennacherib's face on this relief is, is scratched out. Why? Because when he came back to uh, Nineveh, he was minus 185,000 soldiers. Why? Because according to the Bible, according to the Old Testament, God sent a plague or sent, sent the angel of the Lord to kill his soldiers. So when he went back to his homeland and he faced the parents of these 185,000 soldiers, he was not a well-liked man. So they scratched his face out of the relief. I mean, all these details fit. He was later killed, by the way, by two of his sons. Sennacherib was. This is in 701 BC. He also tried to take Jerusalem. That didn't work out. After he took Lachish, he went to Jerusalem, and that's where 185,000 of his uh, soldiers were killed. We also visited the Elah Valley, where David took on Goliath. It all fits geographically and topographically. We went to the Israel Museum, where we saw many of the artifacts that were found in the field, including the Tel Dan inscription, including the Pilate inscription, including the Caiaphas ossuary which is the burial box of Caiaphas, the guy that sentenced Jesus to die, including the heel of a crucified victim by the name of Yohanan. That was found in Jerusalem from about 50 AD. Several other discoveries we witnessed there in the Israel Museum. And then, of course, we went into the city of David, and that's where Eli Shukran excavated. And I need a whole program to tell you about what was found there. But let me just say a few of the things that have been found. Been, they found Beulah, which are little stamps that people would use to mark a particular document as coming from somebody. Just recently, they found there a Beulah with the name of the prophet Isaiah on it. They also found one with the name of King Hezekiah in it. They also found Beulah with two obscure characters from Jeremiah 38.1. I don't even have time to go into it, um, and I can't even pronounce their names, but they were found on Beulah. And these are the people 
that threw Jeremiah in the cistern in Jeremiah 38 because Jeremiah, according to the king, was demoralizing the troops to troops in 586 BC by saying, forget about it, this city's going to fall. And so they threw Jeremiah in a cistern. Two of the guys that threw him in a cistern, these are obscure people, ladies and gentlemen, were found, their stamps were found in the city of David. What's the city of David? You haven't even described that yet. The city of David is Jerusalem in David's day. It's a 10-acre peninsula off the southern wall of the Temple Mount. What you see today, the Temple Mount didn't exist in David's day. It was a peninsula that came off the southern wall, the southern wall of the city of David, and that has been excavated by Eli Shukran and other archaeologists and they found these Beulah, but probably the, the most, two of the most interesting discoveries were found by Eli Shukran. One I already mentioned, the Pool of Siloam, which is at the southern end of the city of David. That's where Jesus healed the blind man by putting mud on his eyes and saying, go bathe in the Pool of Siloam. That was discovered in 2004 by Eli Shukran. But even more interesting a discovery was that the temple, it's a temple. There's no other way of putting it. Under the city of David that you cannot see unless you go there with Eli Shukran because he holds the keys to it. He discovered a standing stone. What's a standing stone? It's a stella, a standing stone that if you go to Genesis 28 and read uh, Genesis 28, the end of the chapter, Genesis 28, verse 22, uh, Jacob sets up a standing stone after he has an encounter with God. And he says, this is the house of God. Well, Ellie discovered that standing stone in there that dates to about 4,000 B.C. This is the time of Abraham. This is the time of Melchizedek. And in this temple, he not only found the standing stone, he found remnants of an olive press, a, a channel for blood running from the sacrifice, several other features which point out this was a temple area. And it's down in bedrock. He found pottery there, which put this area from in use from the time of Hezekiah. I'm sorry, sorry, from the time of Melchizedek and Abraham, say about 2000 BC, all the way to Hezekiah's time, so about 700 BC. It's in use from 4000 BC as a temple to about 700 BC. What is that? 3,300 years or so. I mean, this is nothing short of amazing. And Ellie's going to be writing about this shortly. He actually discovered this back in 2010, but he retired from the Israel Antiquities Authority, and now he just does tours most of the time. And so he's writing this kind of thing up. We've broadcast some of the footage from this on our TV program, which you can watch every Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern time on DirecTV Channel 378. If you don't have DirecTV, it's on Roku. If you don't have Roku, it's also on um, our app or on the website, crossexamine.org. It's the NRB TV network, NRB TV for Roku. You can check it out on our website. We've got, uh, we've got videos on this. We'll be putting out another video on it. This discovery could have been Melchizedek's temple is what we're saying here. It's all the way down to bedrock. Now, I'm not saying that because I'm not qualified to say it, but Eli Shukran is saying that, and he is qualified to say it. So all of these things check out, ladies and gentlemen. I wish I had more time to go through because, <laughs> because I sped through so much of this. But when you go to Israel, you'll see for yourself 
that the details check out, as Ellie Shukran continues to say. And when the details check out, you can have confidence that the bigger issues probably will also check out. All right, friends, it's been great being with you. If you want more on this, check out our website, crossexamined.org. Check out our TV show as well. And uh, listen to previous podcasts with Craig Evans. There's more on that podcast when it comes to archaeology. I'm Frank Turek. I'll see you next week. Don't forget, Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, next Saturday. Check out our website for details. See you next time. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.